0: This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin, with support from New Zealand On Air. Nothing can replace the pleasure of turning the pages of the printed book. Join us now as we explore our city's rich literary heritage, talking with people who are passionate about the printed word and celebrating the Dunedin Athenaeum and Mechanics Institute's fascinating local history. Welcome to Wireless Books.
1: Welcome everyone and welcome Christine to another edition of Wireless Books. Hello Beth. Hello. From the lovely studios in central Tunedin that are Otago Access Radio or Otago Access Media, whichever you like to call that it. A rose is a rose. very um, posh. Yeah, that's a Very word. Bond, James Bond. Yeah. Double right. O... 1575.
2: One five oh, yes. License to air. <laughs> or not to, to bore. <laughs> oh,
1: that's just us. Yes. Uh, and of course, we are here on behalf of the Athenaeum and Mechanics Institute, to Dunedin's oldest institution, going strong, mainly mm. because of this fair woman on my right who keeps the, us members in. Wonderful, wonderful happiness by continuing to dig up treasures from the archives of the mezzanine floor of the (laughs) library and purchasing new reading matter, which is probably the best job in the world. Very meaningful. What's it like to have a job, Christine, where people smile at you all day and say thank you and are grateful for what you do? It's rather nice, you know. I'm sure that would be why you've got beautiful, unlined skin, because the happiness.
2: That and I wear a lot of sunscreen <laughs> in the summertime. And I even wear hats, so there you go. Those are my beauty secrets. Oh,
1: Kim Kardashian, eat your
2: heart out. Mm-hmm. She's got nothing on me. No, no,
1: she has not.
2: Now, let's start on the new book, shall we, before, uh, before we Go into my beauty more of my beauty secrets because really I, I just don't want to give them away for free. <laughs> yes, look for me on Instagram. <laughs> I'm not there <laughs> now. Last time I gave um, Beth a book um, called Not a Happy Family. And I said that she didn't enjoy it. I don't know what was wrong with this. I'm going to ask that she enjoy it. I loved it. That's was great, now, wasn't it?
1: Oh yeah. Now there is a awful, awful, sad thing about this. I have brought the book back because I want another book. Mm. I mean, that's the way it works. Yes. Um, but my one of my girls has been staying with us for the last couple of weeks, and I said, "Oh, Sarah, read this book." You know, it's a, actually I wrote it down on a bookmark for her because she was home late. It's a Great murder mystery, easy to read, real page turner. Who done it? Anyway, she started to read it. She's, she's not quite halfway through. But I brought it to swap. It. I thought, no, I'm sorry, you've had it a week and a half. If you haven't made time, if you haven't prioritised, so
2: that's right. Tough love. Yeah. She can buy her own subscription. I suppose mm. your girls are a bit like the van Tra- traps. Really, did you call them to a whistle? Call them to heel with a whistle, and they had to line up. And ah, oh, look, it was like herding cats, Christine. <laughs> herding cats. Anyway, so I, I loved that book, and I thought, well, I'm. Will I be able to top it? And the next book I read. I loved. I loved it, loved it, loved it. And it's um, by Anthony Horowitz. I love Anthony Horowitz. And it's A Line to Kill, and it's the third book in his Hawthorne series. Now, if you'd asked me before I read A Line to Kill, I would have said, well, I like the Hawthorne series, but I prefer um, the the other series with a woman who's a book editor, which I really adored as well. And... As a little side step, um, the Magpie Murders has been made, being made into a television series, oh, so that's something cool. to look forward to. So anyway, I read A Line to Kill Number Three, and and I think the reason I was but. I enjoyed them, but I was kind of a bit confused by them. It's because he puts himself as a character in it, and he, so he's sort of halfway thinking, part of you is thinking, well, this, this is just fiction, surely. But another part of you thinks, but, but, but he's, he's in there. Is, is it real? So I got, I, it kind of confused me. Now I'm sort of, I'm, I've got into the mindset, and yes, it's just all a, a big, sort of a joke, really, but uh, very amusing. And, so him and Hawthorne have gone to a literary festival in a small island, um, not, Jersey, not Jersey, but a small island next to Jersey. It was op- occupied by the Nazis during the Second World War and there were atrocities and there's a, a grave yeah which is full of victims of the Nazis. And they arrive there and there's a big controversy. The island, which has always been harmonious supposedly apart from the Nazis being in there. Um, there's there's a big developer and they've he's got um, the he's acting for a French firm, electricity firm, which wants to put a line of electricity across from France, stopping off at this Channel Island and in, into England to provide cheap electricity for England and make huge profits. But they're wanting to put the, the The electricity line Through this this graveyard And so these people Won't be able to rest These people that suffered enough already Will not be able to rest in peace And so the whole island is divided Between the people who think Well money's money And Mm. the other people who think Well this is horrific And then the person that's behind it Is murdered and so of course hawthorne 's Johnny on the spot, <laughs> <laughs> and he he 's retained by the, by they don 't even really have a police force on this island, so they send a detective out from and they keep saying oh there 's never been an uh, a murder on the island before, <laughs> and so everyone's sort of Apart sort of shocked yeah, <laughs> sort of shocked but but excited because like oh blowney, this is interesting, so anyway, that would it 's just', go, it's just it's such a good book it 's the clothes and everything i I just adored it, and when I finished it, I went back and I went back and I read the first Hawthorne book, and I love that as well. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh my goodness, this is so so good. So now I'm halfway through the second one. It's oh, like,
1: you might be turning a corner
2: in your genres. Well, and I think I I sort of got more out of the first book the, the second time. In fact, in the first book, um, Anthony Horowitz is writing a. How he meets Hawthorne is Hawthorne is like um, the consultant, it's detective on this television program that he's writing, which is a real program, and he did write it. And he he says that he he one of the actor who played the detective looked a bit like Horowitz, not Horowitz, um, Hawthorne. Hawthorne, and. He gave him a lot of his character traits, and and I actually looked the actor up on the um, internet, and and I read the usual. The viewer comments on of this TV series, and quite a few people said, "Oh, so and so was such a great actor, and he played a character that I loved to hate." And I was like, "Oh, this is so brilliant! <laughs> it's just..." And the actor actually did look like my, how I visualized Hawthorne. It was just, I just loved it. So, um, would you like to have it, or are you going to pass? <laughs> 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 I'll be the judge of if it's any good or not,
1: Christine. Thank you. No wonderful, thank you, yes, oh, on a small island, everyone's a suspect Well it is Alderney Alderney yeah i, don't, I actually Ooh. I should have
2: looked up to see if it's actually a real it's a real island or not that's yeah. So, I did some um, background. I did some googling, but probably not on the important matters. Never mind. No, wonderful. I loved it I was very happy. Yep. Now the next one I've got is um, the latest Anne Cleves. Now I'm afraid it's it's not Vera, and it's not um, the other the other one. It's the new her new series. Um, what do they call it? They call it um, the Two Rivers series and it's Detective Matthew Verne and the first book was The Long Call and this one is The Heron's Cry and the funny thing about The Heron's Cry is that the house and the second series of Hawthorne where a murder's committed is called like Heron's Way or something and they keep commenting what a stupid name that is for a house. (laughs) That's quite funny, quite a lot of herons hanging around. So anyway, um, this is based in North Devon and it's a a hot summer and the tourists are flocking to the coastline and there's been a crime, a rural crime scene in the home of a group of artists and it's a a elaborately staged murder of a guy dr nigel yo who's been fatally stabbed and his daughter eve is a glass blower and the murder weapon is a shard of one of her broken vases he seems an unlikely murder victim he's a good man and public servant beloved by his daughter and but matthew is unnerved enough to when he finds out that eve is a close friend of jonathan his husband then another body is found killed in a similar way so he finds himself treading carefully through the lies that fester at the heart of his community in a case that is dangerously close to home. And it's sort of the problem with being a policeman. It's not all fun and games. or well, not just wandering around with a trench it's coat. Not all and, um, donuts and coffee. Yes, no. and wandering around in a trench coat, um, smoking cigarettes in dark alleyways, gloomery, and then gloomery, chuck, chucking them in the gutter and treading on them and stomping off. Um, <laughs> it's it's really it's hard to be in the police because you've got to be careful who you associate with and you've got to keep yourself. Um, you like Caesar's wife, are you? You've got to be above reproach. And one of my friends, um, a young relative of hers, became a police woman. And her, she did really well in police college, and then her first posting was in a, a small um, town and she just had such a hard time because she found it really hard to find friends and like she she joined a gym and she met this girl at the gym and she they seemed to hit it off really well and, and she sort of thought, oh yeah, some, somebody I'm simpatico with and then one day they were leaving after a class and she found out this girl was um, a girlfriend of, of a gang <laughs> member so she, she had she had to drop that, she, you know. So it's just so difficult. You you can't be friends, and so I think eventually she went back to her hometown because at least then the people that she knew already, she knew them inside out, and so she didn't have to worry about where they were coming from. But it's, it's just difficult. It's something you never sort of think about the difficulty of, of becoming a police person.
1: Well, maybe that's why I don't have any close friends who are police officers. Maybe I'm. Um, <laughs> Just not high enough on the moral compass.
2: Well, I can't say that I do either. But um, I'm not saying that police people are, are are perfect by any manner of means. But the, the, I know what yeah. you mean. Yeah. They're like
1: politicians; they do have to be above reproach, or try to be. Or try mean, to be. Yeah. Yes, I do have a couple of friends who are police officers. Actually, yeah, yeah. And they're
2: very, very fun. They're very fun. Yeah. Well, oh. that's the thing. Um, I think when you deal with the grittier side of life, you sort of develop a kind of a, a wicked sense of humour to sort of cope with it, don't you? But like um, people who work in medicine are very can be very blasé about yeah. Yeah. about stuff that would really freak us out. They're just like oh, and make a make a a black joke of it. Now. I don't know if you want that. Now, the next one is the third book by Paula Hawkins, who is most famous for, of course, The Girl on the Train. I can't believe
1: you have brought in these wonderful books today. <laughs> and I can only take two. And I've already I've
2: brought you here, Louise. I know, yeah.
1: but I, she might have to go on the. I mean, you know, normally I would hug you and kiss you. But today, it, it's just torture. It's the torture of choice. What if I make the wrong choice?
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, I told you, I just I got some real cracking books the yes, last time did. I went to the bookshop, and this, the she followed up the girl on the train with a book called something something with water or something. Um, yeah, yeah, into the yeah, water. Yeah. And, and wasn't as
1: peop- I didn't think it was no, as good as Girl on the Train. It had a yeah.
2: lot of different um, points of view, mm. and it was. Yeah, not as focused and Mm -hmm. um, a bit more um, esoteric. And yeah, and this one has multiple points of view, but it's basically following, I think, about three people. And it's, I think it's a bit of a return to form. It's about people that are living on the margins, but they kind of work out how how to get by, and so she's got three characters. Um, Laura, who's um, a young person, and um, and she's got it comes from a troubled background, and um, and people think that she that she is she's troubled herself, mm. and there's Miriam who knows that just because Laura has, wit- has witnessed leaving the scene of a horrific murder, that doesn't mean she's a killer. Experience has taught her how easy it is to get caught in the wrong place at the wrong time. And Clara is reeling from the brutal murder of her nephew. She trusts no one. Good people are capable of terrible deeds. And how far will she go to find peace? So these are three people who all have their own agenda and, uh, well, probably not the, the my squeaky clean of people, but um, I can't all three have done it. <laughs> Thank you. And the next one I've got is a French book. So it's, this has been a translated one, and it's called People Like The um And. Amira Sadera. I mean, oh, okay. So even though it starts.
1: Oh, well, you had your jolly oh, finger in
2: front s- of the yes.
1: <laughs> Samira Sadera. Amira is a lovely name, actually. You
2: should write that, <laughs> that down. It is a
1: lovely name. <laughs> yes. A-M- that one's spelled A-M-I-R-A. That is lovely. Mm. Note to self, get a cat in the weekend, female, name
2: it Amira. Mm. <laughs> yes, I can just hear you out calling it Amira. Amira. Yes. Oh, I thought you were about to burst into it. Actually, it does sound like a, something that should be in a song. You're gone totally off track. <laughs> now this is um, set in a remote um, mountain village, and everybody knows each other, and they're living simple lives, mostly unaffected by the outside world. And then outsiders turn up—a um, couple with their three children, and they—they they have money. They buy a chalet, and they've got expensive cars, and they. So they're, they're sort of... They're the Joneses. Yeah, and so they're in stark contrast to their neighbours, yet despite initial differences, they they form an uneasy friendship. But when the, the, the people from the original people come under financial stress, the underlying class and racial tensions of the relationship reach breaking point which accumulates in an act of poor and violence. I've got to say that the incomers, although they've got plenty of money, they, they're they also um, black. So so there's that sort of tension there, mm. though it doesn't seem to matter to start with. But what, what really puts the um, cat in the fire is when... The villager, he loses his job or his his business is failing, his farm is failing, and his wife takes a job working as a cleaner for for the new neighbours. And whereas before they were sort of met on terms of um, equality, once she's working for them in a, a manual. Position it starts to it annoys her her husband and it just starts to fester mm. and this is actually based on a real case, but not totally it's and she she's gone off with that and um yeah it's one of the disturbing and powerful is um according to one critic i'll just
1: stick with my deliciously murderous. <laughs>
2: And finally, I've got the latest Sally Rooney, um, who is the author of Normal People. It's called Beautiful World. Where are you? And I have to admit, I mean, everybody went crazy for the television uh, version of of Normal People, and um, I never saw it, never read it, never saw it. Yeah, well, it. We have both of her books in the library, and they've been popular enough, but they're just, they're not really my cup of tea. I'm not really interested in um in the sex lives of young people particularly I'm too old not when you're not not when I'm I'm too old for it to be involved it's just really you know oh
1: yeah been there done that whatever yeah
2: Yeah. and this is sort of a bit more of the same there's um, there's a young woman and she's sort of gone through a. she's broken up with her boyfriend and she's got this I mean actually I've read a sec a sequence of it and it describes her working life and she she's an editorial assistant or something and so she goes she goes to the office and she puts her headphones on and she's over her computer and she spends her whole day going through and and change and adding um going through and um changing uh, the like the person's written an essay about Ernest Hemingway and or, or somebody, and she goes in and she adds an initial or or puts capitals in, and so she just to go through a whole article doing this, and then you know, it's just the sort of numbo- bo- numbing, boring job that young people t- tend to end up doing, and this you know, and they just go in and they and she's she's got workmates, but they're all hunched over their own computers, and they hardly ever talk, and then they they wander off and they she doesn't really have any interaction with her workmates beyond sort of waving at them when she comes in and waving when she leaves and and then she goes off to cafes and um eats alone and, but then she bumps into a, a a young man who she used she went out with in high school and and the relationship didn't was okay, but it didn't go anywhere when they were in high school. I think probably in a weird way it might be even a sequel to normal people, but they start to drift back together again just because they're both single at the same time and they're within proximity of each other. But she's living a very isolated life. So that was... I did find the bit about her working life very interesting, interested but then when it got into her sex life, I just like, oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I want to hear more about the editing. Thank you very much. <laughs> I, I think I'm an unusual reader. I think most people would probably be going the other way, but anyway. You just want to know more about the editing. Yes. Well, you know. Now, should we have a little break, and then we'll um, go on to something else? Oh,
0: bear with. For more information on the Dunedin Athenaeum and Mechanics Institute, go to www.dunedinathenaeum.org.nz. That's Dunedin A-T-H E N A E-U-M dot And we're back.
2: Now a few weeks ago I had an inquiry by um a couple whose Great, 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 whatever. Um, whose name was William Longlands. Actually, I've, just, I've typed it out wrong. He's actually William. Oh, where's your editor? Where's your editorial I'm, assistant? I know. I should have had one. It's actually, I've, I've typed out Longlands because I, I misread it, obviously. It's actually Langlands. So L A N G. Anyway, um, William was he. Was named one of the two secretaries of the Mechanics Institute when it was founded in 1851, but very quickly the second secretary um, dropped out, and he, he took over, and he arrived in in England in in Dunedin from Edinburgh in 1850, and he was later the draftsman for the provincial government and a member of the town board, and it was at his suggestion in 1857 that the main roads were lighted with candles romantic. <laughs> well, yes, that would have been interesting, wasn't it? Now, the first committee also um, had a man called James Scott who was a builder from Aberdeen, and he actually married William Langland's daughter. So mm. so that sort of romance within the Athenaeum. Mm. yes. Well, it
1: was that candlelit carriageway that did it.
2: Yeah. So... Yes, yeah, so the, the the other secretary was a guy called George Chapman and he is actually was regarded as the originator of the Mechanics Institute scheme but he left for Sydney at the end of 1851 so he was only oh, involved blast. for about a couple of months. Anyway, um, the building was opened in January of 1852 and James McAndrew made one of the many speeches and he gave William Langlands credit for being the originator of the institution which was nice. Very nice. And so I've, we've talked about this before. It's one of the few public buildings, and it was used for meetings of the Otago Provincial Council, the Dunedin Town Board, and the Board of Commissioners. And the Mechanics Institute secretary, which was William Langlands, was instructed to inform the superintendent that the committee was prepared to continue the arrangements for 1855 56, even though the two year old building was already in need of maintenance. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, story of our life. <laughs> <laughs> now he was also the Athenaeum at was as one of his great contributions to early life in Dunedin was providing a venue for the first amateur choral group, the Dunedin Harmonic Society, and this came about because of William Langlands, the institute secretary, was the force between, behind setting up the singing group and the Dunedin Harmonic Society Youth Institute for weekly rehearsals and will later provide musical breaks during the Institute lecture series. Oh, That's interesting. It's, you know, you're know mm. having someone telling you all about the faces of the moon and then in comes a chor- choral group and yeah. I, I don't know what they sing. <laughs> Sweet Adelaide. Fly me
1: to the moon. No, that wasn't written a, b- there. A early. No.
2: Mm. And yeah. By the late 1850s, a strong feeling that the Mechanics Institute, as well as being too small, was not the type of facility best suited for the city's needs. A library of some sort was needed, and the concept of a was considered a much more suitable one, and a move from the exchange to a corner site of immense and High, where a new building to suit the library could be built, was considered. After much discussion and consideration of budgetary constraints, okay. <laughs> the go-ahead was given. The committee now had about three hundred dollars in hand, and he made um, he drew up a plan. But the committee felt it was too ambitious, at about seven thousand pounds. And he was asked to revise his plan and to make a building which cost no more than five thousand pounds much more sensible. So, yeah, and that was to be a a lecture hall, sixty feet by forty, and. And it was never built that way. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, it's
1: very, we should be talking more about uh, the history of the Athenaeum mm. Mechanics Institute, and we will start off with that. Um, yes, because I the actually have, sesh, have more to the talk next next sesh. about. Yes. Okay. Oh, well, until next time, everyone. <gasps> happy, happy reading. reading.
0: The Dunedin Athenaeum and Mechanics Institute welcomes new members. Enjoy the Athenaeum's quiet, warmly carpeted library and reading room and share in the joy of books, new and old. Visit www.dunedinathenaeum.org.nz for more information or pop into the Athenaeum library at number 24, the Octagon. The Dunedin Athenaeum and Mechanics Institute, celebrating Dunedin's rich literary heritage since 1851.